Hit me, baby, one more time. Wow, now, now. Hey, Tom, so we thought today that we might do something a little different. I'm going to say a little bit special. Special. Uh, I'm feeling special. Hopefully you'll, you'll she'll find go out about that later. We will. We were going to talk about something very special a little bit later. <laughs> um, but uh, we thought that maybe we should give people a bit of a heads up before we even get into our little cool jiggity doodly one of those called intro sequence. We thought that maybe we could give them a hint as to what we might actually talk about once we've finished rambling. Okay, wow. So, do you so, want me to do teaser, it? so it's kind of like you need to listen to the end of the podcast in order to get the full value. Is that what you're saying? Oh, exactly. So this is like <laughs> the yeah. I was going to say it's like the appetizer, but it's not. It's the it's the endetizer. It's the dessert. It's the, the it's dessert. the milk at the back of the supermarket. You have to pass the, through everything else in order to get the good stuff. Ooh, I like that. The milk the at the back of the supermarket. If that's how we're just how we how we describe our podcast, we're onto a good thing, I think. I don't know about that. <laughs> oh so I've had this thing this week, right, where I've been running oh a lot of workshops. Did, and did I give you something for it? <laughs> is it has it cleared itself up yet? <laughs> Sorry, I just ruined your preamble. Shut up. We said it was the milk at the back of the supermarket, not the cream in the medicine aisle. Um <laughs> This is ridiculous. Uh, and we haven't had beer beforehand. Only no, coffee. Anyway, we have had a few coffees though. People loved it when we had beers before the podcast. We've got to do that more often. You know what I think it is? I think it made them feel better about their alcohol intake. <laughs> I think it wasn't anything to do with our performance. I think it was people, it was alleviating their own personal guilt I around see. why they're listening to this drunk. I see, I love it how we just abuse our, our audience each and every week. <laughs> Oh, it's not, on them. not my fault they're alcoholics. I mean, I'm oh God. <laughs> it might actually be actually, to be honest. Okay. Um, yeah, but today we are talking or we're going to be talking eventually. We're going to be talking about how many techniques you can jam into your photograph to elevate it, to make it more deep. You know, like a lot of people go into their photos and they just kind of have this, this idea of, you know, like a landscape, for instance, and they kind of go like, cool, I'll use a composition technique and then that's what they get. Or they do a long exposure and to try and create something. But today we are going to explore all the different ways you can layer up these techniques so that you get a far better shot than you ever expected to get. <laughs> They're a little bit loose, a little bit unstrung, and they've probably had a few beers beforehand. Please welcome Matt Crummins and Tom Fancy Pants Putt with yet another episode of Matt and Tom's Excellent Adventure. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to everybody listening to the podcast today. Thank you very much for joining us. My name is Tom Putt, and with me is the bestest most world-famous underwater photographer in the world. If you haven't heard of him already, you should know this guy's name. Look him up, Matthew Smanny Pants Crummins. I thought we were going to have a guest on for a second then. <laughs> I thought you were going to introduce this random guest that I'm like, oh, my gosh, there's someone special on today. <laughs> we no. do have somebody very special on today, and that is you, Matthew, because you oh, are a Thomas. special person. 
You know what? This is actually your special week. It is. Um, I think that we need to acknowledge this right up front. Something has happened. Something big has happened. It is not Landscape Photographer of the Year, International Superstar. (laughs) Um, This is something far bigger, far more important. And to be perfectly honest, I think for most people it was far less expected. And far more interesting. (laughs) 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 Thomas Putt, you are engaged. I'm engaged. Can you believe that? To a woman. (laughs) This time round, yes. A real person. Like, I mean, I know know that AI is getting good, but this is an actual real person. (laughs) This is a real person. It's not a a bot this time. No. Who would have thought that I could have that pulling power? But, yes, it's actually happened um, a long time in the making for those who are friends with me on Facebook. And if you're not, how dare you send me a friend request. Um, there is there is evidence there, and you would have seen it over the past few days. Uh, I took my beautiful Mary down to Tasmania, which we do every year to celebrate the business and to workshop what we're going to be doing over the next 12 months and how we're tracking and all the rest of it. But little did she know that I had a little, little white box um, in my pocket when we went to dinner on that first night. And uh, the, the irony is that, to- speaking of AI, that I actually got, chat gpt to write the um the wedding proposal oh, you did not <laughs> did you i did look it's look i tell you the backstory i've got i've got a legitimate excuse what happened was first and foremost is this came very unexpectedly like within like 48 hours beforehand i said right this is the weekend i'm going to do it and it's been a long time coming for those who know long Can I ask what, what, 11 years but what happened? Like something over the weekend must have sparked. You must have been having a moment. There must have been something that just made you go, all right, was, now's the right time. I was originally do it at the Faroe Islands because we love that place, which we're going to again in September. And we did a fake proposal there years ago. And I thought, well, let's do the real thing. But then it was going to be during a workshop and, and I thought. Oh, that's weird, isn't home it? Home in, you know, sooner rather than later, things like that. So, And if she said no and you're on a workshop, can you imagine <laughs> like, yeah. the rest of the workshop, just this awkwardness of you guys like, Mary, can you pass, <laughs> yeah. this, can you pass the milk? Yes. No. Can you tell that's Thomas, no, I will not pass the milk? <laughs> <laughs> no, there was there was no doubt that she was going to say yes, which sounds very egotistical. But we'd always talked about it. We'd always joked about it, and, and you know we wanted to. It was just a matter of um, the right time for both of us. And Mary had been ready for a long time, and she waited very patiently. Good girl that she is, and uh, and so within forty eight hours of you know uh, within twenty four hours, I think last Friday, I typed into into Google, you know, Chat GPT. Never used it before. The funny thing was, not to ramble too much, was the first time I typed the prompt in to write that, I wrote in, write a wedding proposal for Tom and Mary growing up with five kids. And it started talking about us at the beach building sandcastles and, you know, exploring (laughs) through the woods and all this stuff. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not right. That's not right. That's like um, I just changed growing up to be more raising, raising five children together. So it was write a wedding proposal about Tom and Mary about raising five children together. Please tell me they just spat out the lyrics to the Brady Bunch song. (laughs) The Brady, but <laughs> no, it, you know, the, and the reason I did this was not through the necessarily the shortness of time, although I was constrained in the time, but also to my brother got married twenty five years ago, and he asked me to be the best man, and I just wrote the most awful 
best man speech. It went for oh. less than five minutes and I didn't really have a lot of substance and stuff to say and I kept it very short but sweet. But it was to the point where the MC went, oh, right, is that it? Okay, right. <laughs> he he went to the bar to go and refill his drink and halfway through the refill he's like, oh, <laughs> shit, I've got to get back. <laughs> This is it. It was bad. It's still burnt in my memory as being oh, no. not my finest moment. Was it so awkward? Did you say weird things as well or was it just that it was short? It was you know just, some people get up short. there and they're like, was, they start telling yeah. these anecdotal stories and you're like, that yeah, is you know, not appropriate I right now. I could have thrashed it out because not long after I went to a friend's wedding and the the best man there gave the most awesome speech because he was, you know, he had a lot of humour in but it was very generic but it related back to the he made it relate back to the bride and groom which was fantastic and i was like oh why didn't i do that so i thought no this time around i'm going to google it i'm going to really make it substantial and meaningful and and not just poxy right Mm. i typed it in chat gdp just for some ideas well i read the read the first like paragraph not even the first line or two, and I just went, oh, my God, this is gold. And so I thought, I'm going to run with this. Yeah, print, exactly, print, print, print. <laughs> but it was also a little bit of a piss take as well, and not to not to make light heart of the situation. It was more just this, that's us. We're, we just, we're just, we're fun, relaxed. And and anyway, it went down extremely well. Mary freaking loved it. To the, the Up to the point, Matt, where um, at the end, before I could say, and babe, you know, will you marry me? She gave me this big hug and I went, oh, my God, that was that was fantastic. That was amazing. I, but, and then you could watch it. <laughs> I recorded it. You can watch it on Facebook where she goes, I can't believe you wrote all that for nothing. And then <laughs> out, comes, out comes the box. And, oh. uh, and then it was just waterworks from both of us. So it was amazing. Aww. It was just, it was amazing. It was beautiful. So, yes, we, um, we're going to get married um, this year or next. And it's really exciting. We're so happy and the kids are happy. And it's just nice to formalize a relationship that we've had for many, many years. And, um, and, and, yeah, and nail her down, really, isn't it? Nail, that's, it that's nail it down. Because you did tell me that there was a bit of a threat involved in this as well. Oh, totally, totally. And I'm happy to throw her under the bus for this one. I she think you should, yeah. That if I didn't ask her to marry her by the time she's 50 and she turns 50 next September, next year, um, that she would not necessarily say yes. And if she did say yes, she would be walking down the aisle in a white double-breasted pantsuit. <laughs> which I don't mind, by the way. I don't care what she wears. But she saw that as being, right, I'm over the hill, I'm past my use-by date and middle-aged woman, that's what they wear. No, nothing wrong with that, by the way, but she just didn't see that as being young and sexy and she likes to still think she's that way, which of course she is. I think the problem with her wearing that suit would really be you'd be a case of who wore it better because you'd be up there in your <laughs> suit, she'd be up there in their su- her suit and everyone had their little voting cards and... <laughs> You know, <laughs> it's like a diving competition. hundred percent, you know, hundred percent. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, there's an idea for next next time, next year. We could <laughs> next, next time. Cards. Let's next let's time. Uh, let, let's not hope that there's a next time, Tom. That's no, um, no, no, this is it. Probably, this is yeah. definitely it. Yeah. And so, yeah, we're we're super excited, and it's going to be a whole lot of fun. So we can't wait. Very so, cool. Okay, news. That is great news. That's really it's very exciting. I think everyone who's listening will be thrilled to hear that and they're all eagerly awaiting their invitations to the wedding. Look, everybody is invited. I'm putting the the, the, the invite out to the loyal listeners of this podcast first because we deserve they deserve to be rewarded, Matt. So um, mm. please keep the date free. <coughs> 
which I don't have a date. And, um, and of course, that will be coming in due course. And, um, and then we'll be sort of those who don't accept the invitation, rudely don't accept the invitation, we'll be passing it on to, say, perhaps the um, attendees at BFOB. So yeah. they'll be the next right of reply. And then from there, we might just go to my general Facebook friends. But even so, if you're not invited, I think um, if you go to uh, to Camera House, there's a wedding registry there. Um, <laughs> if there's, uh, if you wanted to contribute towards the happy couples, um, you know, uh, memory that's, creating, um, yeah, that is so nice of you to say that. That's absolutely uh, the, true. Yeah, we yeah. should absolutely look. All gifts will be greatly appreciated of monetary value. Look, look, <laughs> look. Don't go to any great expense. A, a minimum a thousand dollars on the gift registry is all that yeah. we ask. And so, and honestly, a gift card is usually the most versatile, especially the Visa prepaid gift cards. Um, that way, <laughs> you could choose from any number of camera shops. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we need a few of those just to pay for the wedding. You know, in all seriousness, we went. You know, doing a second time around. Nah, just go to the pub. You know, afterwards mm. and all the rest of it. Well, no, it hasn't quite worked out that way. And in fact, we've started cooking up a few ideas and i was i was surprisingly after that not being able to sleep so i um got out my phone and started doing a few figures you know and went right okay I did see there was a new workshop um on this morning <laughs> on your facebook uh, to slug slug bud is new, it slug bud new i've what got says to put new? About five of them up oh well <laughs> <laughs> well, it says new workshop announcement. No, there is. Oh, there that was is. from the 19th of May. That was, that was So you did that in anticipation of her saying yes. Did you like how I did that? I did, did like yeah. how I did that, snuck that mm. in, didn't put it in on the same day or the same weekend or anything like that. Mm. So You no. know, Tom, I'm a little bit upset. I, I, I can't help but feel as though you, you publish a lot of workshops, but I'm very rarely invited to any of them. Matt, you're, you're welcome to any one of them. And, and, look, I'll even give you a special mate's rate which is Mates double what you see advertised on the workshop. That's what yeah, I That's it, with no single supplement. That's what um, I do for my friends. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're not even staying in the same accommodation as us. No, mate. that's mate. it. I'll be, I'll be on the ice. Um, yeah. that's, that's absolutely correct. You're in a swag on yeah. the ice. I could do the behind-the-scenes shots for you of you teaching people and, you know, you getting attacked by a polar bear and, <laughs> and you with your long lens. And I, You know what? I, I think that that could be a, a real, a real Instagram-worthy partnership right there. I think so. I think so. Absolutely. Look, it might not last very long, especially if I'm on the ice with the uh, polar bears, but we'll see. Hey, mm. um, speaking, did I, have I told you to move on? Because look, this shouldn't be all about me, but we'll try and do that. Did I speak to you about my latest purchase? Um, was it a wedding ring? Z9. Oh, yeah, you bought one of those, yeah. yeah. I told you that, didn't I? No, you did, you did, you I did. took it for a bit of a run. Um, I was in Shark Bay the other week and I decided the reason I bought it was for two reasons, one, wildlife, and two, sport. So, so aerial so, photography at 30 frames a second. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> Make sure I nail that shot. And I was chasing chasing a bird called a western grass wren, which is like mm. this little tiny bird running around and it doesn't like coming out in the open. It sticks underneath all of these crappy little shrubs and stuff like that. Well, the performance of that camera is outstanding. I got mm. quite a – look, I shot 1,400 frames and I got 12, maybe 15 shots that I was really happy with. A lot of the time the camera missed the focus, but that was only because this bloody – bird just flits around like you wouldn't believe all the, they, like all the little, you've got to line up in the frame and then you go to press the button and it skips out of the it's frame gone. yeah it's terrible. So are these do they kind of jump around like the um uh like you know like robins and yeah, yeah um, wrens and stuff yep. they just like you know they just they, they don't even you don't even see them move they just appear in a different spot 
unbelievable. The only way that I could get any decent photos from this bird, and I've always said this, here you go, people, this is tip number one from the podcast for this week, and we've said this before, is to know the behaviour of the animals. Mm. So I had not been dealt with this bird before, but what I did notice that they're not necessarily in singles, they're in groups of at least three. And then it was making its way from one bush to the next and they were sort of and, – and this was very purposeful. It wasn't sporadic. They would go from one bush to the next and then they reached the end of that line of bushes and then they came back again. So oh. I'm like, all right, you've reached the end here. You'll be going back again, hey? They're not, And they don't fly easily either. So they're happy to sort of go – if they sort of feel threatened, they'll go into the centre of the bush, not necessarily fly off and go anywhere else. So I thought, well, if I come over this side of the sand dune here and I sort of line it up through that gap there, I might get some good shots. And then within one or two minutes, bang, there they were. They were very predictable in that regard, which was fabulous. So, um, yeah, uh, just, wow, wielding that Nikon 800mm with the Z9 was um, quite a task but um, got some pretty good results. I shall even pop one up on the Matt and Tom's Excellent Podcast Facebook page for you guys to see. I'll do that right now. And, yeah, it was amazing. So that's why I bought that whole system in the first place was to photograph mm. birds and wildlife that way, wildlife birds and, um, and sport that way. But, wow, impressive. I've got to say that that I <laughs> the, the hardest thing I find in, um, in teaching photography often is that you know, us as professionals use this equipment that is wildly capable, that does things like this, as you say, like the focus tracking and whatnot for a bird like this. And it does it relatively easily. And so you don't need to put a huge amount of effort into the focus aspect. There's a lot of other Mm. aspects, obviously you do. But then when you're teaching somebody else and they turn up with a camera that's pretty entry level or older, it's just there's this irony that the people who have the skills have also got the equipment that don't means you don't require the school, skills. And the people who, who don't have the skills have got a camera that doesn't do anything to help them at all. Yeah, <laughs> You're basically yeah. left to your own devices. I, I, but, would, um, I would tell you that I wouldn't have got these photos had I been using the uh, the older, you know, the Z7 Mark mm. 1, for example, because that's not really built for that anyway. But no. um, I would not have had a chance in hell. Because I think that's pretty yeah. common with a lot of photos though. Right. And, and, you know, people will say that uh, at the end of the day that, you know, equipment helps to, to a point, and, and I totally agree, but in this case you absolutely needed the best equipment in order to be able to capture these results. And and so it does come down to skill by the photographer but also the, the capability of the equipment, which we all know, um, mm. but some more than others. You know, obviously wildlife sport requires fast focusing you know, cameras that can do that for you, long lenses, things like that. So <laughs> you can be inhibited, you can be restricted uh, with the results that you'll get, obviously, by not having the right gear. But uh, uh, again, as we've talked about, there's that fallacy that if you buy the better gear, you're going to take better photos. Well, not necessarily, obviously, when it comes to, say, landscapes, things like that. If you're, You can still get great results from, you know, entry-level gear. That's what I'm trying to say versus you're not going to get great sport or wildlife photographs from using a, a you know 100 or 200 mil lens on, a, on an old camera where the focusing is crap. So definitely agree with you, but it does actually, you know, funnily enough, kind of introduce our topic from today. Go. Oh, because okay. that's it for the ramble. We're straight into the good well, It's not so much that it's stuff. just the ramble, but you've just got such a good segue, I think. And I've not done anything interesting except just work my butt off for the last, like, month. So okay. I've got nothing interesting to say. Well, um, we can slide straight into the topic for the week. 
Yeah, well, for the fortnight, we fortnightly, aren't we? Yeah, whatever it is, whenever we get around to doing podcasts, that's when we're here. But but what you just said was really interesting because um, I totally agree that with something like wildlife, you have a huge reliance on your equipment um, because. It's kind of like saying I want to be a race car driver, but then turning up with you know a Honda Jazz. Yeah, it's like, of course, great. Of you can be an amazing hey, I'm driver. Some pretty but- cool Honda Jazz down Main Street, morning to late at night, man. There's, <laughs> there's a lot of doof doof going on there. Ah, the fast and the furious stuff. Souped up to the max. Come on. Yeah. All right, well, let's, uh, the, mate, you go diss in the Honda Jazz. Well, Come we've on. got a Honda Jazz, and I can tell you, it definitely is not doing laps of Main Street Mornington with the doof doof. It is, it is I'm doing, sure I saw it is doing slow that. putts down to the daycare centre to drop sure a, a you there. I'm sure that I saw you with your hat turned sideways. Yeah, yep. thumping out. I'm a Barbie girl at uh, the top of, <laughs> top of the, uh, the, the, the the factory sound systems that's, uh, capability. That's how I knew it was you from the alone. I didn't even have to look. I'm like, oh, there you go, Matt again. That's um, it. It was Tom, Tom Siren's song. He's like, he is it and just fixated on this Honda Jazz. <laughs> I just, uh, just this wave of like, <laughs> I get goosebumps just hearing it. Well, go here's on. the thing though. Like, so oh your wildlife's God. got massive reliance on the equipment. There's no doubt about that. Sports is very similar, although you can be a little more strategic about sports because it's easier to read a game than it is to read wildlife, I think. You know, a game has certain plays and you mm. have certain um, – uh, you, you know, if you know a sport really well, and uh, our good friend Nick Fletcher talks about this a lot. If you uh, know, uh, 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 sorry, what did you say? I'm not a camera, but anyway. Um, okay. <laughs> but but he talks about the fact that you know, if you are, for instance, if you're a BMX rider, you will inevitably be the best BMX photographer over someone who's not the rider, because even yep. if you don't have the camera yep. skills, you know what you're trying to capture and what's actually interesting to that crowd. When it comes to landscapes, though. I do agree with you. You can get away with much more um, entry-level equipment. But I think that where we've got to be really careful with that is to also acknowledge that there are limitations in equipment. So, for instance, things like the dynamic range of a camera, so how much information it can capture between the darks and the brights yep. to, to that you could recover later to try and balance your shot. Um you know, what sort of uh, the sharpness of your lens, for instance, the size yep. of your sensor would affect things like your depth of field. So there's a lot of factors that go into your landscapes and stuff still. And today's topic was really we wanted to sort of explore, well, I wanted to anyway. You were a bit reluctant, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> Tom's going to give away secrets. I'm always, I'm always <laughs> reluctant to talk to you. <laughs> do we have to do a podcast? Yeah, um, Can we find somebody else to reply? <laughs> where's that guest, guest that we were looking for? Um but looking at all the different ways that you can, it doesn't matter what your equipment is, all the different techniques that you could implement and layer up in your um, your shot to improve it or improve your odds of, you know, making magic. And so, you know, one in particular just, you know, maybe we can alternate here with different techniques, but yes, one that just kind of comes to mind is you are saying about the camera being entry level, it's okay. I agree there are a lot of cameras, though, that don't get the dynamic range part right. So the dynamic range, for those who don't know, is the difference in the brightness between the darkest point and the brightest point. So a, a more entry-level camera means you'll probably clip the highlights and clip the shadows or one or the other. You won't be able to capture all the information necessarily. So one technique that can be really powerful to get around this if you don't want to spend tons of money on a camera is to either use um, HDR, so bracketing, where you, you yep. take a photo, say, like minus 2 on your exposure um, reader reading and uh, zero and then plus two and then merge them in Lightroom. And that'll give you the best of your highlights and your shadows. So even if you don't have amazing equipment, you can still easily do that. You don't even need a tripod these days. Cameras, the Lightroom will sort of auto-align them. 
Um, and the other technique that kind of goes hand in hand with that would be to use something like a graduated filter, which is where they're dark on the top and clear on the bottom. And then they've got kind of like a transition between the dark and the clear. Yep. So it allows you to darken the sky, which then makes it balance more against the foreground. So you don't need the same dynamic range. Yep. But that's just one example of when you're shooting a landscape and you've, you know, you've done all your hard work on your composition and you get this composition right, but then you're like, geez, you know, what could I do to elevate the shot? Well, HDR or grad filters can really make a big, big, big difference. Right, right. So we're going beyond the sort of basic light composition and, you know, subject matter, which I see as the three main ingredients to a great photo. And it's interesting that I, we talk about this because I was only saying to the guys at Shark Bay last week on the workshop that um, it's 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 relatively simple to talk about what makes a great photograph, like what mm. makes a really, really good photograph stand out. Look at your own and look at other people's and go, what makes that so good? It, I bet you it just comes down to light, composition and subject matter. What makes it difficult is getting all of those three on point, mm. as in getting them just looking, working together to create magic, okay? and Harmonising, some would say. Harmonising, yeah. A lot easier said than done, isn't it? I mean, however, um, you could probably be lacking a little in one, like we're talking about today, lacking a little bit in one, but you could just elevate it, as you said, by using these techniques we're talking about today. Let me give you another example to alternate, and this is very topical, is obviously this AI technology that we're seeing come into uh, photography. Don't tell me your option is don't take photos, use chat GTP. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's a good it. technique to get a good landscape. No, no, no. no. no, no. Um, the the denoise that's now been introduced to uh, mm. Lightroom and people will go, oh, we've been using Topaz for ages. Well, Topaz can suck a dick. That's what I can say. <laughs> I can't believe <laughs> I've oh never like, I'm sorry, I just, Why? Topaz annoys me so much. Why? Because everyone, well, first, okay, there's, there's three levels of this, right? The first one is that it's always on sale. It's always 50 bucks off or something. Right. And then it's like sale ends in a midnight before the next sale starts five seconds later. Okay, okay. So, so yeah, I hate the marketing, marketing of it. Their marketing yeah. tactics probably don't work for you. Yep. No, the marketing department needs to be kicked in the balls. Right. The other two things that really frustrate me is that there is a... <laughs> Oh, God. You can feel it's some built-up anger here. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of getting that, yeah. Secondly is that it's an external editor and people don't realise that when you go and well, most people don't realise, when you go and right-click and you go edit in denoise, yep. it goes and exports this, at, usually because people set this to stupid parameters, a 16-bit Photoshop or TIFF file yeah, very high. that now makes it 700 megabytes. <laughs> And Top- then it goes into Topaz and then comes out of Topaz and all of a sudden you've got duplicates. It flattens your edits. Yeah. Um, it does all these annoying things that mean like firstly, even if it worked really well, it has to be the final cherry on the pie. It doesn't, it's not something you can do up front. So you don't actually know what you're working with until you get to the last step. Yeah. The, the last part that really annoys me and I'll, then I'll let you go back onto your thing. <laughs> is that Please, mate, just let me know when you're done. I have just never, never you'll know when I'm done because I'll be dead on the floor after cardiac arrest. <laughs> I've never used it and gotten the results that they advertise. I think it oh. does an amazing job of denoising in some areas, but yes. what it does is it tries to be clever using AI and tries to cut out your subject and not make it too smooth and things yeah so you get these weird inconsistencies so your background will be crazy denoised yep. and your subject will be like half denoised and then right. the details won't be denoised at all right and it kind of looks like you just 
cut and paste things or it'll miss a section, you know, like the way the iPhone's in portrait mode, you know, they blur the background, but then they'll also not blur the bit between your hair. So it looks really dumb. Yes. Exactly the same thing happens in nearly every time I've used. Now, I haven't used Topaz AI denoise thing in a little while, so it may have improved a bit, but I used it, I reckon, 12 months ago, and I just felt that every time I did it, I looked at the shot and went, I, it does not look better. It looks different. It does not look better. Right, okay. And everyone obsesses over it and I, it annoys me because it's sort of like people feel this universal need to use it for some reason and it's like uh, I just think it's, It'll be interesting know. to see uh, the future of Topaz given that uh, Adobe are obviously going pretty hard on this technology now, which they need to because they need to always be upgrading the software in order to justify charging mm. people 15 bucks a month. But here's the thing, they've released the first version of it and I've tested this on a lot of different photos Yep. and so far it has been faultless. It hasn't, it hasn't it's given better you, than Topaz. Oh, a million times because it hasn't really? given me any of those inconsistencies. It, it denoises consistently across the shot. Right. Um, the other thing that it does is it preserves your edits because it goes to DNG file. Yes. And so you can do denoise at step one or step 10 and it doesn't affect your edits. So Apparently, apparently you're supposed to do it at step one because there's talk chat about the fact that if you do it in uh, at the end, for example, of your workflow, that it mm. will perhaps have negative effects on the other um, adjustments it can. to the yeah. image. Yeah. Well, it, it can. I think it can create some inconsistencies, but I don't think yep. the inconsistencies for your average punter are enough to worry about it. Right. But, um, but, but from, it, from a purely sort of like best practice, would you say that if you need to do noise of the image, that should be the first thing you do? Oh, look, I don't think it's a bad idea, definitely not a bad idea. But what's really great though, yeah, what's really cool about that though is that you denoise it and you don't lose all of the raw data. So you can still re-white balance, for instance, after the fact. Whereas if you go and punch it out to a TIFF file and you try and re-white balance, I mean, you can, it's better than a JPEG, but it's not as flexible as a raw file in terms of, you know, being able to rebalance colors and stuff. So it just doesn't lock you into an edit at any point, which I think is wild. Now, now, we may be going off topic back to, here. Back to, you can go back to what you were saying now. I'm, we may I'm, be going off topic here, uh, um, but, <laughs> but the denoise is very interesting because from my experience of using it of late is that um, the, these, whether it's the Z9 or what it is, but there's, there's not a lot of noise in the files, even though you're shooting at crazy stupid ISOs. And then the denoise is working very well just at the default. Um, that the, the uh, AI comes up with. Yeah. Um, now, I just want to just sort of caveat to this is that if you're denoising all of your photographs, you're probably a wildlife or a sports photographer. If you're having to denoise your landscape photographs, you're shooting mm. astro, but you're not shooting during the day. Like, like I'm only using the denoise because I'm shooting now a little bit of wildlife using auto ISO in order to get the shutter speed and the apertures that I want. Thousand at f eight, you know, it's the sun hasn't come up, so the the ISO is through the roof. Um, but really, uh, this this conversation belongs more to people who are shooting that genre of photography as opposed to landscapes necessarily, because overall. The rule of thumb, I still think, applies that you should be trying to shoot at the lowest ISO possible in mm. order to have the best quality photograph and not fall back on the technology and be lazy about it and say, oh, don't worry, I'll just clean that up with denoise. Because at the end of the day, from what I can see and understand, and you might want to correct me, Matt, is that it's still blurring the image in order to be able to hide the noise. Well, look, I always correct? want to correct you, Tom, but... Um... <laughs> 
the just just for, you know like a personal pride thing but um but no I won't I, you're right it does it is it is naturally going to I guess technically blur the image that said um what I think I've found is that when the photo is genuinely really sharp to start with so for instance um I've, I posted that Robin photo we talked about this like last podcast episode I think but the post of the Robin photo that I cleaned yes, up yeah it was tack sharp on its face and it had a little water droplets on its head mm. then I've got another version of that where the water droplets not quite as sharp because the depth of field you know focused slightly differently mm. or it was on a different angle mm. and you do see that in the denoise in areas that are a little bit soft it makes them look quite soft mm. and the areas that are sharp it does actually preserve pretty much all the sharpness so right. it does so it does still blur that Wow. I completely agree, though, that you don't even if even if it did a perfect job, um, there is a level of laziness uh, or complacency that you can get when you rely on the technology. You definitely want to know the technology is there, so that when you're in a situation you have to use one of these, you know, a, a higher ISO, you know, you can fix it. But I 100% agree. If you're just going out there going, you know, and I'll, I won't name names, but I did have someone on my workshop on Monday. Um, uh, you know who I'm talking about, Harry, um, <laughs> who, uh, who we were doing macro at Macedon. We were, doing, we were doing fungi and really small stuff. And so I always encourage people to use a tripod because you just, just to get your depth of field right, it's bloody impossible. Um, yeah. Not impossible, but hard. And um, Harry just didn't like tripods. That's fine. Totally fine. He didn't he just, he was like, yeah. no, nah, I just wanted a handheld. And I was like, yeah. cool, that's fine. And he was shooting on a Canon M something one of the more modern m series so crop sensor uh-huh. canon mirrorless and what uh what i was finding is his shots because it's you're shooting basically under a log at a dark mushroom you know like it's dark yeah he had to shoot like ten thousand iso and right. on that camera at ten thousand iso the results are not as tragic as what they would have been five years ago but they're still not amazing and you know he was saying, "Oh, I can just clean it up a bit in post, and it's fine. I don't mind the grain anyway, which is fine. Like that's personal preference. But I do think that that if you set the expectation, you can fix it in post. It's not hard to actually push this one step too far, where suddenly it won't clean up well. That right. denoising, I think, is going to do an amazing job when you overshoot it a little bit. But if you went and shot like a hundred thousand ISO, for instance, it might get <laughs> my camera doesn't do that. No, well, here's the thing: you might get rid of the grain, for instance." You know, but you will lack some details. The other thing people don't really always talk about is that the higher ISO you shoot, you start to damage your dynamic range massively. Oh, yes. Massively. So if you I think, oh, I'll just shoot ISO, high yeah. ISO landscapes, you're like, well, you won't be able to recover the stuff you want to recover anyway. So you know, I you've find just got a trash shot. that you say that because I always found in these older cameras that as soon as I went from 200 to 400, that all of a sudden the contrast was stronger in the ISO 400, for example. And or the, you go the higher ISOs and the highlights blow out more easily. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, you, you, oh, for instance, if you, you shoot against like a dark landscape, like a dark mountain or rocks or something and bright sky and you expose for the sky hoping you can recover the rocks later, mm. what you'll find on a high ISO is you'll recover them and you won't get the detail out of it. You'll just be pulling grain and grey you won't get you won't get that um that information. So the denoise doesn't help that. The denoise will help with noise and grain, but it's not going to help you with all the other crap side effects of high ISO, including right. color fidelity. You shoot you shoot wildlife. If you go and photograph high um high ISOs for wildlife mm. um, of something like a, a rainbow lorikeet, for instance, yeah. um, and suddenly what should be a rainbow colored beautiful bird turns into something that looks like it's covered in mustard. Yeah. I've totally you know? found that too. <laughs> you totally just it that trashes well. your color. Yeah. Um, 
sometimes that's fine. You know, sometimes that's just what you got to do. But yep. I'm sure as hell aren't. I'm not relying on it. You know. No, no, no. Tell me, um, what's your next point? Just so we get everything in and chock this full of value as always. Um, layering up. So in terms of layering up, I think another one of these techniques that I would use in terms of layering up is um, I would think about using, say, like high dynamic range for a landscape. And I think we can probably keep this on landscapes because it's it's a nice, easy one to focus on. Yeah. Um, the yeah. other one that I would really always try and consider using to elevate my shot is I would consider the shutter speeds that I'm using a lot. Um and especially when you're near water, bodies of water yeah. um, or fast-moving clouds. So if you're at altitude on like the top of a mountain and you tend to be closer to those clouds that are whisking past, the use of long exposure in a landscape can really elevate because you're contrasting, say, for instance, a rocky or jagged landscape against smoother clouds or water. That doesn't mean you just want to smooth the water out so it's just dead flat. I think that can be really boring sometimes. But even using, say, like a one-second exposure at the beach or a two-second exposure gives you the same shape in the waves, but it takes out all the kind of the really fine details of like the water breaking, right. which then kind of makes, say, the jagged rocks stand out more. Yeah. And so layering up is about I find often people will go to a seascape environment and they'll do a long exposure and that's the one technique they implement. But I think that if you went and said, look, I'm going to implement maybe not HDR because you can't do that in long exposure very well, but you might use a graduated filter and long exposure, um, that's going to solve a dynamic range issue and give you more interest in Mm. your shot too rather than just doing long exposure for long exposure's sake. Yep, yep. It's interesting. I wanted to build on that and I wrote a note here on uh, the sides about the what's the story for the photograph. Mm. And I, I think we've touched on this before, but it's always good to revisit it at the end of the day. What are you trying to say with the photograph that you're taking? And that's yeah. building on what you've just said in terms of like contrasting one part of the scene with the other, etc. What sort of shutter speed are you going to use in order to best tell your story? And I don't think it's something that people think often enough about. They kind of just go with that sort of default, all right, I'm down the beach and I'm going to take this photo because I'm going to use this camera and this lens and this tripod and, and I always shoot them at, you know, F16 with this shutter speed. Mm. But it doesn't always have to be that way. And I think if you want to get better as a photographer, you need to perhaps go and ask yourself each every time what story am i trying to say here is it going to be something that i underexpose in order to create a dark moody scene because that's how Mm. it feels for me as opposed to something that's white and bright etc etc you know um i was having to think about this um you know when i was i know you said keep the landscapes but i'm not going to um that's fine which was about you know those grass friends is like okay these little suckers are in amongst all of these bushes but I would love them against, I would love them to be on these white dunes that are just adjacent to these bushes. Is that something that they, they're going to do? And if they do do that, does that give me the opportunity to get a nice clear shot of that? And in the end, that's what they did. I was sort of pre-visualising what I wanted to see in the photograph, the ideal scenario, and thankfully it came off for me. But, um, you know, I don't think people do that enough. They kind of deal with the circumstances that they've got and do the same old that they've always done. And in the end, they get the same results, which might be fine. But if you're saying to yourself, you know, and I'm a little bit bored of my photography at the moment, I need to find something new to photograph. Maybe it's you don't need to find something new to photograph. Maybe you don't need to go away to an exotic location. Maybe you should sign up for a Matt Crummins or a Tom Putt workshop. But you might need to revisit those same locations, but go with a different lens or go at a different time of day or go with just the mindset of, 
I'm going to shoot this differently. You know, I'll, I'll always always remember going to Jerry Johannes. Um, he's a famous wedding photographer, Australian wedding photographer, and I went to one of his seminars years ago. And he said, "I had this client. I had this participant come, and he goes, Jerry, I just love the way you crop your photos. Teach me how you crop your photos. They're just yeah. they're so different. They're amazing." And Jerry goes. Okay, I'll give you the the secret formula. This is how you you end up getting the results that I get. And and the guy's like, yeah, yeah, tell me, tell me. I really want to shoot like you do. And he goes, just crop your photos differently. And the guy's like, <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? He's like, well, don't do the same things that you're always doing. Just look for a different crop, dude. You just, know, just like do something different. Yeah, it's that simple. It is, isn't it? You know, like um, don't expect um, you know the definition of insanity. Don't expect a different result by doing the same things. Hundred percent. All right. I think. I think one more um, that I've got yeah, in here to throw, yeah, to yeah, throw into the mix is yeah. um, is I would encourage people to, you know, again, so thinking about this idea of layering it up. So, you know, so far we've got basically the techniques around, you know, getting – firstly, I think you've got to get your composition right. I think that that's the most important fundamental to any shot that you do. And composition includes things like light, especially in a landscape environment because – where you point your camera you can't change the light so you've got to you've got to look for the light and then compose around it um then you know layering up would be getting making sure that you're using a technique to capture all the light that you want as you say that could be just wildly underexposing it and not worrying about the shadowed areas because maybe that's not the point of your photo um or it could be using something like hdr to make sure you balance the light out or using a grad filter to balance the light out you could then think about going well what's the story of the shot okay maybe beyond me just getting the light right i actually need to put more focus on or emphasis on say like the jagged rocks or the smooth rocks or the moss or the whatever it is and maybe to simplify a sky you could do a long exposure to get the clouds a little bit smoother or the water a little bit smoother um the other thing i would then encourage you to do is to sort of check off this list of, of saying what is your anchor and i have a, a one person oh. came on my boot camp who said that this was probably the most photography changing thing they've done in a long time because they're reflecting back on their shots now and just to give you an idea of an anchor, an anchor doesn't have to be a subject. This is where we get a bit kind of deep and meaningful about composition. But yeah, as an right. example, a, 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 a landscape might have, say, a waterfall in it, right? Yep. Well, people would say that the subject is the waterfall in a landscape. Yes, that would be their anchor, wouldn't it? Well, that would be their anchor. However, an anchor doesn't have to be the subject. Right. So as an example, if you took a photograph off the, you know, I've got one example and maybe I'll post, oh, you know, I'll post it up in the, um, in our little Facebook group there. So they're not particularly amazing shots, but they're a really good example of this. Um, it was from the top of Mount Buller from the summit, um, looking out towards the sunset just after the sun went behind the mountains. So you yep. get that beautiful layering in all the mountains and you get, you know, it goes from like purples through to oranges at the back. So it's a pretty cool color scape. There's one photo that's just the mountains with nothing else really in it and it's just layering. And I tell you what, it would make an amazing background screensaver to a computer because it's very yeah, minimalist, mm. you know, it doesn't have too much complication in it. Mm. But when you look at it without, you know, being just a background on your computer, you look at it as a photograph, it just lacks somewhere for your eyes to settle. Right. Your eye just keeps going around and, like, you, yep. you don't know what you're supposed to be looking at. It looks beautiful, but then after a second you're kind of like, cool, but I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do with this now. I've then got a photo that was taken. It was actually taken earlier, to be perfectly honest. So, um, But <laughs> a photo that was taken probably 10 minutes earlier, just before the sun went down below the mountain. There's a tiny peak of sun over the top of the mountain. Yep. And then, even better, there's this very tiny little bird silhouette Ooh. in the in the on the it's on a rule of thirds which was very very bloody lucky yeah um now that 
bird becomes the anchor in the shot. Yep. It's not the subject though. This is not a photo of a bird in a landscape. This is a photo of a landscape that happens to have a bird. Right. But the bird acts as this spot that just breaks up the the shot and yep. lets your eye sort of stop and settle somewhere for a minute. It's kind of like a resting point. Yeah, right. And I think that using that technique can really change your photos because if you analyse the shots that you take, um, it's all good and well to say, oh, this is my photo, this is my subject. But sometimes we don't have a defined subject. You know, sometimes the subject is just the vista. Yep. But that anchor could be something as, you know, as basic as it's a particular rock. No one's going to be like, oh, that's a photo, of, a good photo of a rock. Mm. You know, that's an amazing subject and amazing, mm. amazing scene. But the rock mm. is, happens to be what everyone sort of ends up resting on, if that right. makes sense. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It makes sense. We used mm. to, I'm reflecting now on um, entering the AIPP Awards years ago and the judges used to love that little hidden detail that you wouldn't initially see in a photograph. Mm. But then you go, oh, hold on a second. There is this, look at that little bird there that's just, you know, skimming across the, the water or across the top of the mountains there. And that was pretty cool. They always loved finding just those little hidden gems that weren't initially obvious. And that's how I'm relating to what you've just said there. Yeah, 100%. But last 100%. thing I wanted to quickly talk about, which may or may not relate, is something that I've been struggling with the past week and I actually jumped on the phone with Mark Rayner who um, is a good friend of mine who is based up in Brizzy, runs workshops, and he's a Z9 Nikon user as well, is these focus points that all these whiz-bang cameras are coming out with these days. There's literally a myriad of different sort of combinations of focusing that you can use based on all of the the capabilities of the cameras. So... It wouldn't hurt that if you, for example, are a Nikon user and you have those sorts of things and you're looking at them going, I, I, I know it's got all this and I think I've got the right combo, to go online and do a little bit of Googling and there's there's quite a few ebooks that you can download that will teach you or at least watch some YouTube videos about that as well because having the right setup is going to mean that it maximizes your chances of getting a good photograph. So that's just my little take-home point for this topic today as well. Mm. I definitely agree. I do think, can I just put a caveat on that a little bit? Of course, Matthew. Just a little bit. That's why we work so well together because we just bounce off each other seamlessly. (laughs) The caveat I would put on that (laughs) is to make sure you do understand what it is that your focus points actually do. Um, I know that might sound a little bit funny, um, but a lot of people do mistake the different focusing points to mean that you can get more than one thing in focus. Yep. So the focusing arrays that you're talking about, I assume that's what you're talking about, is like you can choose like, you know, call it like wide zone group, yeah, the single pinpoint and stuff. And then the yeah. AI that obviously can track cars versus people versus animals. 100%. Things like that. Now, all of those, though, they all lead down to the same thing. It's not about focusing on more than one thing. So, for instance, if you use the wide array where it can focus on anything in the shot, it's not the camera focusing on everything. It's actually saying the camera is allowed to choose from anything. Right. And then when you go down zone, it's not saying it'll focus on everything that's within that box. It's saying now the camera can choose something only from that box. Yep. And if you go down to the next one, you're just narrowing down the camera's choices. Yep. And this is kind of important because in a landscape, I do see sometimes people go, oh, I use the wide focus because it focuses on everything because it can yes. choose everything. Yes. But no, no, it just means the camera can now make its own mind up and you have no influence. Right. In a landscape, often you probably want to go, actually, 
I want to focus roughly a, a, you know, a third way into my shot. So I'm going to, I'd probably encourage you to use the single point for that because then yep. you can be very specific. Of course. You use the wide, the camera's probably going to focus on the closest thing because it's like, ooh, a rock. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, right. Yeah. But yep. it's definitely, you're right, though, exp- experimenting and exploring those yep. um, modes, I think, gives you, well, you'll unlock what your camera can do. At the end of the day, isn't it? Would you agree that you, when you're buying a high end camera these days, most of what you pay for is actually the focusing system? It's often the bells and whistles, isn't it? Yeah. Well, when you look at the, the difference the day, between... There's still a camera that takes a photograph, but you, you, what you're paying for is uh, what it's capable of doing. Yeah. Well, look at your Z9 versus, say, Z7. I know. I Resolution know. rise, I think they're very similar. They're very um, similar. Same. But, yep. you know, but here we are with a massive price jump and, and the biggest yeah, difference... Yeah, only about $5,000 difference. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. And, the, and But the, what's the main difference? It, you know, the Z9 can focus on anything, anywhere, anytime. Yep. Um, you know, so, yeah, yep. when you start to pay big bucks for cameras you're often paying for the focus system so if you don't you explore, might as well you... use them to the best of their ability yeah that's it yeah. that's it well there's a few yeah, really good. interesting things we can like i guess you can layer up in your shots to try and improve them we hope you've enjoyed the podcast and learned something today guys um of course check out our facebook group page for the uh, western grass Ren and any other well we'll put some show notes up there about what we've chatted about today and if you've got any feedback on what we could do better or what topics you'd like us to talk about in the future please let us know and we'll see you next time here on the Matt and Tom's Excellent Podcast. See you later. Bye.